Last week, I told you that I would uh, study and talk about when the Bible says fruit, what does it mean? And I didn't think it was going to be easy, but I thought it would be easier than it was. <laughs> it was really pretty challenging. I was kind of hoping that, I mean, I'm familiar with the scriptures, and I know, you know, there are places where you can find lists, but that isn't what it felt like it was supposed to be. And it was actually a lot of prayer and a lot of study to get to the place where um, I can give you at least a sense for when Jesus says things like last week, return on investment, right? The parable of the talents or the parable of the miners where it talks about this great king, this great master that invested these things, you know, in that parable they're called talents, into his servants. And then he went away and said, go and make increase with this. And then he came back and two of the three in both parables demonstrated increase, and they were giving a great, great response from their master. But the third one in both parables did not bring any increase. Didn't lose a thing, but brought no increase, and that was a pretty sad, horrible response that that one got. And then the parable of the seeds and the soil, where um, the sower would be the Lord, the seed would be his word, the soil would be the person, the condition of the heart of the person that he is sowing that seed into, and it talks about all these different types of soil, which would be the heart condition of people, but only one produced any fruit. And he talked about 30, 60, or 100-fold, and, and that we're called to produce fruit. The, the bigger picture of all this is that, well, really, it is fruitfulness when you think about it, that, that we're called to be the salt of the earth, uh, the light of the world, the city on a hill, um, to raise up Jesus such that people would see him. And then now we're looking at holiness and we're looking at what it means to be a disciple and um, we're going to look at faith. I really, you know, the, the, the conversation around Daniel and Jessica is where the Lord has been stirring me because I don't know how to teach faith. I could teach about faith, but I don't know how to teach faith, right? There's been so many times where to be the, the light of the earth and teach about faith and I understand faith, but sometimes I feel like I must not have faith. And I don't know how to get faith when I don't have faith. And that's been the challenge because I know that's the next thing coming, but I don't have an answer. And he's been giving me, he's been teaching me, and it's been manifesting in me. So it, it's pretty cool. We'll close this, uh, this part, but we can't lose sight of the bigger picture that, that we are to shine with the very glory that Jesus shined with in this earth. And these are the things that are helping us to not be distracted or deceived in such a way that we think we're shining when we're not. So um, I took every scripture. I don't know if you're familiar with wild cards. Like if you get into a Bible study app or some of the websites, you can wild card things. So I wild carded the word fruit with a wild card in front and a wild card afterwards. So I would pick up every word in the New Testament that had F-R-U-I-T in it. It could have been fruits, fruitful, unfruitful, fruit, I mean, anything that fruit. And I, and I looked at every single scripture, then I pared them down to the ones that actually seemed to give us some sort of reference as to what fruit was and started to pray. And it wasn't until last night and then uh, really this morning, I thought, man, it's going to be a 10-minute sermon. I'm going to let you, let you all down. You might be happy with a 10-minute sermon, <laughs> but not if you don't get something from it, Right. And then, man, so I trimmed out a bunch. 
But I just want to give you a sense for it's important. When you think about the parable of the talents and the, the outcome, I mean, if I understand those, those parables correctly, the two guys or ladies that made the good return, they went to heaven. They entered into their master's joy. The one that didn't, didn't lose a thing, just didn't bring increase, went to hell. That's the way it reads. Weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness, does not feel like the, the ghetto of hell if, or heaven. It feels like hell, right? So we ought to be able to figure out what it is that that return looks like so we can get a sense for whether or not we're being good and faithful stewards. So, all right, then what is fruit or fruitfulness? Um, my initial thought was that I would, I would glean from the Scriptures a list. It probably wouldn't be a complete list, but a representative list. But I don't want to do that because if I give you a list, there will be things that aren't on the list, and then, then it becomes like law. You know, if I can find these things, then I'm okay, blah, blah, blah. So instead of a list, I found a word. And it's, it's the most prevalent word that you see that comes in conjunction with fruit, fruits, fruitful, or when it speaks in, in the negative, unfruitful. And, and that word is righteousness. So rather than a list of things that are fruit, we'll look at a word and expand on it that represents those things encompassed in one word. That word is righteousness. So it's funny. You think you know stuff, right? Like somebody wanted to talk about righteousness. I feel like I talk about righteousness all day long until I had to talk about righteousness on a Sunday morning. And then I'm a little concerned. I don't really understand righteousness. So I went and I tried to study, you know, how do, how do people define righteousness? If it's going to be the, the umbrella that encompasses what fruit is, you know, what's the definition of righteousness? And I, had, I have this uh, Bible dictionary and it's like, okay, I can't use that because I don't even understand what they're saying. It's so theological. And then I saw a thing posted by a guy named R.C. Sproul, who's recently gone to be with the Lord, but he's a, a great Bible teacher, uh, theologian, um, Calvinist. But still, you know, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's, there's differences we have, but mostly we agree. And I read a paper that he wrote, and here's was his description. Here's was. <laughs> Here is his description of righteousness. Righteousness is doing what is right in the sight of God. I can wrap my brain about that around that. It, doing what is right in the sight of God. But we have to be a little bit careful because it's tricky. When you study righteousness scripturally, it's not just doing righteousness. It's also avoiding things that are not righteous. So there's kind of an active and a passive aspect to righteousness, right? Righteousness is you see somebody hungry, you feed them. Righteousness is you're, you're feeling compelled to tell a lie and you don't. So passive righteousness is not doing those things that are unrighteous, and active righteousness is actually practicing those things that are righteous. So that being said, let me just share with you some scriptures. I have a ton of scripture today, but I'll try not to expound upon all of them a lot. I'll try. Um, Ephesians 5, starting in verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, you'd have to read you know, behind 5 to get those things, these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. I'll bet you any money that that disobedience is that Greek word apathy. The sons, excuse me, apathy or disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And we're just right now kind of connecting righteousness and fruit. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let me expound on this one a little bit. Um, Notice the distinction here between righteousness and the fruit of righteousness. He's praying that, that we would maintain this certain way of kind of holiness or righteousness until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness. Now, in some places you see that, that fruit is righteousness, but in this context he's saying the fruit of righteousness. Righteousness is both fruit and the producer of fruit. You get that? Righteousness is fruit. When you do right things, that is fruitful to God. He is seeing fruit on our branches. But it's also the producer of that fruit. And I'll get to that in just a second. Um, Righteousness comes through Jesus Christ at salvation, or at the point where a person is born again, they become righteous. When God looks at them, the second before they were unrighteous, they were dead in their sin, the next second... They come to saving faith. God looks at them again, and he sees them as perfectly righteous. Because what's happened is they've been clothed with righteousness. They've been wrapped in righteousness. That righteousness has been imputed to them by faith, and it's the righteousness of Jesus himself. So at the point of salvation, we become, remember the word positionally righteous, right? Our position before God becomes righteous. It's no longer unrighteous, and our our destination is the eternal wrath of God, we're now righteous, even though we've done nothing but come to faith, and we're now righteous before God. We now have established relationship with him. We're saved. We're born again. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and our destination is now eternal life in Jesus Christ with God, ultimately in the new heaven and the new earth, okay? That righteousness... That, that imputed righteousness, we're changed to be a new creature in Christ. Old things have passed, new things have come. That righteousness, and I don't know a good way to explain it other than it's what the Bible teaches, begins to then produce righteousness in us. Remember when I was on the rant from First John for so long? Do not be deceived. Um, the one who practices righteousness is righteous, and the one who practices sin is of the devil. And, and we talked about the one who practices righteousness is righteous. He's not righteous because he practices righteousness. He practices righteousness because he's become righteous. And that'll twist your brain a little bit, but it's important to understand that, that true fruit is only produced in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, unless that you abide in me, you cannot produce fruit. So, so a person who does what appears to be righteous things, good things, is not producing righteousness the way the Bible speaks that we're to produce righteousness because they can't because they're not righteous. And the best answer I have for that, and it's just my my speculation, I, I don't know that I could prove it to you, is that it's the motivation for righteousness is what God is moved by. So if I'm moved to do righteous things so that you'll tell me I'm a wonderful person, 
that's not the kind of righteousness that the Bible, that's not the fruitfulness it's looking for. But if I move to righteousness because of my concern for God and my concern for you, wow, man, I can just feel him all over me right now. We should all just sit right here. It feels so awesome. Man, if that's the motivation for my righteousness, then I'm being fruitful. Make sense? Okay, great. Um, Note also, it says, And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent, in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. So, love abounding in real knowledge and discernment. Love, the, the ultimate practice, right, is love. And that it would abound, it would just increase, it would be everywhere, it would be flowing in knowledge, real knowledge and discernment, so that we may approve things that are excellent. It's almost like Romans 12, 2, that we no longer be conformed to this world, but be, we be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we might, we might prove, or some translations, test and approve the will of God, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So in Romans 12, 2, what it's saying is that that we would change the way we think so that we can, we can evaluate things, test them, approve of that which is good because we see through the lens of a renewed mind and then demonstrate God's will, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. This is saying the very same thing. It's saying that we would um, be able to approve things that are excellent. So, <clears throat> Sorry, I've twisted myself up a minute. Let me get caught up. Love abounding in real knowledge and discernment so that we may approve things that are excellent in order that we may be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. See, if we don't have real knowledge that leads to discernment, say say you never, ever read your Bible, you come to church, you know, most of the time, but not all the time, but the the majority of your your dining on what the Lord has to feed you is, is casual at church. Your ability to discern is going to be very low because you don't have real knowledge. You might even be born again and have the Holy Spirit, but without anything to test your spiritual unction against, your ability to discern is going to be very weak because there's, a, there's one who masquerades as a spirit of light who tries to come and, and tell you this is light and this is good, but he's not leading you to a place of goodness. He's leading you by deception to a place of death where he can kill, steal, and destroy. So it's very important that we have real knowledge such that we can discern so that we can approve when we're testing that which is good and evil. What does Hebrews say? Um, no, it's um, it's the end of a chapter, maybe one or chapter two. I'll just get it for you real quick. I might have referenced this recently. Hebrews Hebrews 12, did somebody say? I don't think it's that far back. Nope, it's got to do with um, the mature and milk. Um, five, that sounds right. Right, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. Whoa, the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. 
right? That, that's the same concept that, that we're seeing here, is that we, we have to be uh, trained with true knowledge so that we can discern, so that as we take a step, we're stepping in the right direction because we understand between right and wrong. Wow, that was a long way on those two little verses, but it's really powerful stuff. Let me just read it again, and you can just digest it in, in the, the words that I've shared. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Yeah, that's a meaty bit right there. <laughs> you know, guess where my next verse that I'm going to read comes from? Hebrews chapter 12. <laughs> All righty. Hebrews chapter 12. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So, so we don't necessarily enjoy discipline, um, but if you read Proverbs... And look at the, the Proverbs that contrast the wise person from the fool. It's like they don't accept reproof. They don't accept rebuke. They don't accept discipline. They, they just refuse to be changed. But the wise person seeks out discipline because their goal is to be wise and to act wisely and to live a life that, that produces good fruit. Therefore, they're... They're understanding that they don't particularly care for the discipline, but they understand that the discipline produces a fruit, in this case, righteousness. James 3.18, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So I, I could have read you 20 more scriptures probably, but the point I want to make is that the primary output where fruit is the primary output, righteousness is the, is, the, is the equation that produces it, I guess, is the word that I'm trying to say. There are other things, but righteousness, which encompasses many things, is the primary way that God sees fruitfulness from his people. That, that's just the point. Okay. So then let's try to look at what, um, what does fruit actually look like. Because there are some places where fruit is described. And probably the easiest one, this is the first one that came to my mind, is in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7. And it's John the Baptist speaking. Now, he's out in the wilderness. He's been prepared for his work. He started baptizing people. Remember, John's baptism was a baptism into repentance to prepare the way for the coming Messiah, right? That there had to be a people who had recognized their sin, committed to repent from their sin, to, to prepare for the message that was coming from the Messiah. So this is John the Baptist speaking. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees, so every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So here's all these people. They think they're good, right? But he, he tells them, this is your current state. You are a brood of vipers. 
He's telling them that they are not producing good fruit and that the axe is already being laid to the root because Messiah is coming. And unless that they repent, they're going to end up being this tree tossed into the fire. His warning is to flee from the wrath to come. But it's not a flee like run away from because you can't run away from the wrath to come, right? You can only repent away from the wrath to come. So when he says flee, what he's saying is repent, run, because you are about to experience the eternal wrath of God and you don't want to, therefore, flee from that. How do we flee? We repent. Bearing fruit, keeping with repentance. And then he says to them, because they're not sure that they're buying what he's saying, he says, don't be deceived. They think because they can trace their family line back to Abraham that they're okay. We're Israel. Remember, Jesus said, you're of your father, the devil. They're like, we're not of a fornicator. We're of our father, Abraham. He's like, nah, -uh. nope, your father's the devil. So he's, John is saying kind of the same thing to them. Don't believe that just because you can trace your line back to Abraham that you're okay. You need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance to be okay. And he said to them, from these stones, God could raise up children to Abraham. He told Abraham that he would have a vast nation that would be his descendants. They can be you guys, not you guys, you know, in, the par or in, the, in John speaking to these people. It can be you, but it doesn't have to be you. You can repent, and it can be you. You don't repent, he'll just raise up stones. He made a promise to Abraham. He will make him a great nation. Now, it may be that those stones was a metaphor for the Gentiles, for all of us that would actually come. And in, I think it's Galatians, we're told that, that true Israel is not those that are born in the bloodline of Jacob. True Israel are those that are circumcised of the heart by faith, that that's true Israel, Abraham's actual descendants. Going on, he says, and the crowds were questioning him, saying, then what shall we do? And here's where we get the answers, where it's like, okay, what does fruit look like? John the Baptist says, bear fruit, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. He, he scares them, and they say, what do we do? And he would answer and say to them, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than what you have been ordered to. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, and what about us? What shall we do? What shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely. Be content with your wages. So there are some examples of things that are fruits that God would recognize. If somebody is in need and you have the ability to meet that need, meet that need. If they need clothes and you have clothes, like not the ones you're wearing right now necessarily, but give them clothes. Are they hungry and you have access to food? Feed them. Right? Those are active things of righteousness. Passive things of righteousness would be things like don't collect more than what you've been ordered to. See, the tax collectors, the Jews hated the tax collectors because they were Jewish people working for the Roman authorities, given the ability to collect whatever they could collect. But they had a certain amount they had to give back to Rome. So if they could collect more, they could just keep it. They were all very rich. Matthew was a tax collector. So he's saying don't collect more than what you're supposed to collect. Just because you can doesn't make it okay don't do it. It's not right. Or take money from people by force or accuse someone falsely. Be content with what you have. These are passive acts of righteousness. A um, couple more scriptures that kind, of, that kind of beat that same drum, so to speak. James chapter 2, 
starting in verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled somewhere else, and, and yet do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? See, faith in this context is much like we have Abraham for a father, right? They were willing to place their security in the fact that Abraham was their father. Here, James is addressing people that have prayed a prayer or they have some, some form of faith, but their faith never resulted in righteousness. So it wasn't true saving faith because true saving faith makes you righteous, which then produces righteousness, right? And then they would have actually had works, but they had no works. What he's trying to tell them is that, that you have a faith that's, that has no value to it because if it had value, it would be producing good works that look like when somebody comes to you and they're hungry, you don't say a prayer and send them off hungry. When you've got a fridge full of food, you bring them in and you feed them. That would indicate that your faith had caused you to become righteous, which was now then producing righteousness through you. Likewise, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes, closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, do not let us love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. See, what matters... I hate to talk about Ashley when she's not here. It's easier when she's here. Ashley has a, a love for God, but it's not a godly love. See, what matters is not the affection of love, but the doing of love. You understand? Ashley, she, she, has, a, she has an awareness of Jesus, and she claims that she loves him, but Jesus says, unless you obey me, you don't love me. So outside of obedience, we could have an affection, but there's no actual love that means anything to Jesus if it's not expressed in obe uh, obeying him. Love that only manifests in word or tongue is, is like hanging your head on having Abraham as your father or faith without works. It's the same thing. If you have love and you feel like you're okay because you have love, but the scripture says if you have love that doesn't result in caring for people that need help, then your love isn't really love. It's just, it's just tongue love. It's affection love, but it's not truth and, what was the word, truth and deeds, but indeed and truth. So, so when we test our love and we say, hey, you know what, I love this person. Well, they don't even have a place to live. Yeah, I know, that's rough. Well, your love is lacking. If they don't have a place to live and you have a place that they could live, then your love is, is affection love, but it's not the kind of love that God is looking for from the people that love him. <laughs> love is fruitful 
and righteous when it is expressed in deed and truth. Now, you're going to be surprised by this on, you know, a sermon that talks about what is fruit, but this is the last scripture I put in. I wasn't even going to put it in because I felt like this was Holy Spirit's fruit and not our fruit, but I, I do think it's our fruit because even though it's described as the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it has to be expressed through a person. The fruit of the Holy Spirit doesn't exist outside of its expression through a person. So somehow we have to actually exercise or enable or allow out the fruit of the Holy Spirit so I am going to read it to you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. <laughs> Margie was waiting for this one. But the fruit of the Spirit. See, this is a way that you can know you're born again, I guess, because, because God would, would, would emanate. When, it, when the Bible talks about rivers of living water flowing from your innermost places, which, by which they mean the Holy Spirit, this would be a good example of the, some of the ways that that would manifest. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You have the same messed up order as me. I always mix. I always switch gentleness and faithfulness. <laughs> but see, these are wonderful fruits. And, and these fruits manifest being the light of the world, certainly. If, if we always only manifested the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and just, you know, if you ever wonder what God's like, these are his fruits. They're him manifesting through us. So if you've got this picture of this, this vengeful, just waiting for you to goof up kind of God, that's not what this would portray. This portrays um, a patient, loving, kind, gentle. I mean, that's who your heavenly daddy is, and that's who he's trying to get us to manifest out to each other and to the world. Um, some more examples. Romans 15, starting in verse 26. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their, I mean the Jews, in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you to Spain. So basically what he's saying is that, that the churches, the, the Gentile churches in Macedonia and Achaia, he made them aware or they became aware of this plight of the, they're still Christians, but they're Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, and they're under all this persecution, and, and they're struggling, and they, they don't have any money to buy food. They're really, really being um, tested hard. And what he's saying is that, that it is fruitful for the people in Macedonia and Achaia to take up a collection and send it down for their friends that have needs. Um, he touches on it here, but he talks it a, a ton. I think it's like 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where he speaks to this, this generous thing that these other churches are doing. So it's fruitful for us to take as stewards of what God has placed under our care and then distribute it out to the places that need it, just like we talked about, you know, in case Daniel doesn't get a job right away. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So it is fruitful. God sees it as fruitful when we answer the Great Commission. Share the gospel, make disciples, teach them to obey, 
important, though, to understand that, that our fruit is in the doing. It's in the sharing of the gospel. It's in the making of disciples, Bible studies, teaching, encouraging, uh, I don't want to say rebuke, but rebuking when it's necessary. The fruit for us in the making of disciples is in the doing. But it's the person's fruit and the Lord's fruit to do the changing. You understand? So, so if I'm going to be uh, assigned some, somewhere or another to, to disciple Keith, my job is to share the truth with Keith, to share the gospel with Keith, to explain to Keith what Jesus is calling him into, what the rewards of that call are, what the, the, um, the weight of that call is. But it's not my job. That's my fruit. It's not my fruit to get Keith to actually be that person. That's Keith's job to produce that fruit, and it's the Lord's job to empower Keith to produce that fruit. Sometimes I think it's easy for us to get frustrated when you do the things that you would do to make disciples, but the people aren't necessarily responding to the work of discipleship. That's on them. It's certainly not on the Holy Spirit, right? He will empower every desire for goodness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied, right? The satisfaction comes through God empowering that. So our job in the making of disciples, our fruitfulness is the doing. Our job as being disciples, which we're, we should be both, is in the changing and the developing of Christ-likeness or godliness in ourselves through the power of the Holy Spirit, okay? Fruit of the Spirit, all right. Um, Philippians chapter 1, 21 and 22. For to me, this is Paul speaking, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Titus chapter 3 and verse 14, our, our people, that's us, our people must learn to engage in good deeds to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. So just quickly, uh, they speak to fruitful labor, bearing fruit in good works, good deeds to meet pressing needs, <laughs> good deeds to meet pressing needs. You probably write a song on that one. Um, fruitfulness is engaged in doing in the making of a difference. It's not just wishing, hoping, and praying, which are good things, but they must include doing. And Nancy, you're an example of this. I, I mean, I would not be wrong to call you an intercessor, right? Okay, okay. So, so Nancy is a person who spends hours before the Lord on behalf of, I'm sure, probably praying even in tongues, stirred by God on behalf of the Native American people such that his will can be brought about in their world. So she's an intercessor. She spends time praying. But see, she's not just praying. She's actively engaged in ministry to take the word of God, to take the truth, to break down strongholds and fortresses, to empower, to encourage, and to build up the church as it's being developed. So to be an intercessor is awesome. But you can't be someone who only intercedes you must also be somebody who participates in the work of bringing about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. 
And, and you're the thought that popped into my head when I was asking the Lord about that. It's not just praying for those folks. It's now engaging as he sends you to go do the work of the ministry. I'm almost done. I want to give you one, one last example. And, and, and I'll speak to Daniel again. Kind of, I told you the end of the sermon I'd already spoken. But this example is kind of a bridge to where the Lord is taking us next in this conversation of faith. And I couldn't decide which made more sense to read first. There's two scriptures, so I'll, I'll just give them to you how I have them. The first is in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 14. And it's from, I read you last week, Mark's relating of the parable of the seed and the soil. This is from Luke's relating of that same parable. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are, excuse me, as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Okay, we'll store that one for a second. John 12, chapter 24, or verses 24 and 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. So God, through John, in John 12, is saying that unless that we die to ourselves, deny this life, that we might have this new life, that seed, in this case the seed is us, it, it doesn't bear any fruit. It has to die to itself. Baptism kind of is a representation of that. And then from the Luke scripture, from the parable of the seed and the soil, I, I've been harping a lot on... Um, riches and pleasures of this life. When, when God told me, you're, you're not restrained by me, you're restrained by your affections, it was for those kinds of things. And, and so I've been speaking very, very, um, a lot, I don't know a better word right now, a lot to not having affections for the world. But it also says that fruit, that the seed didn't produce fruit because it was choked with worries. And that's where faith is so important. So if we're going to be fruitful, then we can't be choked with worries. So Daniel and Jessica got to go out to dinner. I mean, you don't be stupid, right? You understand. You still are a steward of what God's given you. But if, if God has said, hey, listen, it's time for you to get refreshed and, 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 and to go off and catch your breath a little bit, then you should do it. Right? Because your concern isn't for you have a job or you don't have a job. It, it's, I'm walking a fine line here, but you know where I'm, where I'm going with this. Your job is faith. Your responsibility is faith. And, and you, you, ex, you ran into that thing, right? You had the thoughts, oh, I can't do this, I can't do that. They seem like wise things, except they're outside of faith. When Treese quit working, I don't know how long it's been now, maybe a year, something like that, she started working because, you know, our financial equation was bills, expenses, income. She starts working. You know, I think we're probably a little above. 
Well, that's what got us there, right? Our, our reserves were drawn down pretty substantially through the adoptions, but we had that. I was going to get a job, a second job, and she said, no, you know, I, I want to. So she did. And we were a little, you know, to the plus of the equation. And then, you know, she didn't work anymore. So I went right to faith. No, I went right to dusting off my resume, starting to make phone calls to people that I know, calling a guy who I know who has a staffing company and called the elders of the church. And I said, hey, listen, guys, um, I am going to still be the pastor of the church. You know, I won't have as much time, but I promise you I won't neglect any of my duties. But Teresa can't work anymore. I need to get another job. I made him aware. They're like, okay. You know. And then about five days later, I get a call from Pick. Pat, I've been praying. Yeah. He said, here's what he said. The Lord wants you to trust him. I'm like, okay. But does the Lord understand math? <laughs> because I got this situation right here. Does anybody know the King James way of, of defining faith from Hebrews? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Guess what was my not seen? The money that lived between my income and my expenses right here. That's the unseen. Pick said, Pat, God wants you to trust him. And I start pushing back on him. Well, let me explain to you my spreadsheet, right? He said, well, do what you want, but I'm just telling you, you know, that's what the Lord told me. I start praying. I'm like, Lord, I mean, I have an understanding of this concept, except for when you're tested, and it's like I need another job, right? And, I, and I'm like, what do you want me to do? Because, I, you know, I love pick, but I think I'd rather hear this one from you, you know? And all of a sudden in my mind comes the recollection from like the last five or six days, like seven times somebody had come to me, and I'm like, oh, man, you've got to trust God. Oh, don't worry about that. You got to trust God. And and I'm like the Israelites in the wilderness. It's like, oh, we have no water. And I knew, I just knew. And honestly, I can't explain to you why we're okay, except for guess what? The faith closed the gap. It closed the gap. Closed the gap. How does it happen? I don't know. We stopped paying for things. Literally, we stopped paying for things that we hadn't paid for before. My knees get messed up. I got to go to the doctor. I get to the front desk. The lady says, Okay. I'm like, no, 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 I don't have insurance. I understand. It wrote, I don't know what he wrote on the thing, but the doctor gave the lady the thing, free. Get an x-ray, get a shot, get evaluated, free, 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 free. Everywhere we go, free. Uh, you think I'm kidding. Tanya Grace, how do you like your van? How much did you pay for it? Zero. How much did I pay for it? Zero. It's extending to you. Grace is getting on you because I don't have a job. How about that? <laughs> the point is, fruitfulness will get choked by fear and worry and anxiety as fast as it will get choked by the pleasures of the world drawing you in the wrong direction. And, and he's about to bring us, and this is how he's teaching me. I can't preach this part because I'll have nothing right now. You know? But he's teaching me, that I don't have to have this overwhelming knock-me-backwards faith thing that hits me, like the tinglies that I get every once in a while, that faith is just faith. It's just trusting him. It's believing. And so when, when we chose not to get a job, guess what happened? The gap closed. Oops, it's this way. The gap closed. What closed it? Faith. What was in there? Nothing except for faith. And then God 
was able to demonstrate himself. So when Israel went to the, the oasis because they were thirsty and there's no water at the oasis and there's the rock, they didn't have any faith. They, they would be like, oh, no water. <laughs> you're, so, you're so sneaky, God. And they would have known. God did not bring them out there to die of dehydration. He was just giving them the opportunity to have faith. And he, gave, he blessed them even anyway. He blessed them. Ultimately, they didn't get so blessed because those people didn't get to come into the promised land, but he still gave them the water. So at the end of this whole thing about what does fruit look like, it's righteousness. And you can glean out things, lists of things, love, joy, peace, patience, that stuff. You can, you can glean out a list of things, but the umbrella is more important than the list of things because the umbrella is where all those things manifest, and that's righteousness. That's doing what's right in the sight of God, not doing those things that are displeasing to him in anywhere because he sees everywhere, right? And ultimately, let it all be born from faith because Daniel Palmer has never been his family's provider. The name of the company that he worked for has never been his family's provider. God has always been his family's provider. God will always be his provider, and faith pleases God. Amen? Okay. All right. Well, that's the best I got on that. Let's pray before we praise God and, and minister to one another, get ministry from the Lord, minister to him in praise.